when you bring your whole self, the subsequent element that comes after that is, I'm going to give my best self. If I feel I can show up, I'm going to be my best self. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to bidfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Lead the Team Nation. Oh my goodness, you got a great one coming your way today. Our guest is Stefan Charbonnier, the Chief Human Resource Officer, Human Resources Officer of L'Oreal USA. And y'all, if you, I mean, L'Oreal is the largest cosmetic company in the world, coming in around 34 billion with a B. Now, before joining L'Oreal in 2013, he worked more than two decades in key HR leadership positions at global organizations, including Tower Watson. PepsiCo, Kraft Foods, American Express, and McDonald's in Europe and in the U.S. Now, in his current role as CHRO, Stefan is responsible for leading the company's overall HR strategy in the U.S., including talent acquisition, learning and development, total rewards, HR operations, and people analytics. He's built a high-performing team, inclusive of centers of excellence and division leads who are all focused on creating the best possible employee experience. Stefan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ben. I'm very excited to be with you. Thanks for the kind introduction. Yeah, man, we're going to have a great one in store for our listeners today. I've been so looking forward to it. So let's start this thing out. Now, you've led companies to achieve the best place to work in France, in London. And in my research, I know this is a big focus for you for L'Oreal here in the U.S. What is your secret sauce? You know, it's a, that's right, Ben. I've, I've done that in Europe. Uh, I have yet to crack the uh, the nut here in the U.S. And uh, I'm, I can tell you our teams are working very hard. And uh, what is the secret sauce? One, it takes a village. Hmm. Um, All right. I like it. Be, it cannot be uh, one function doing it on its own. It has to be from the inside out, meaning you cannot just declare your best place to work. Your employees have to feel that and to live it, which mm-hmm. means, again, uh, not only it takes a village, but it's also it's a multi-year journey. You cannot just wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to be part <laughs> of the top 10 organization yep. to work for in the U.S. So that's th- there's no secret sauce, but... Having that sort of alignment between what employees are living within your organization, and then you can talk about it externally. Uh, yeah, I love the, that. That's Yeah, I mean, it's so many important things there, and I want to want to point out for the listeners. I mean, it's one thing you, you've already done it in two countries, right? And so now you're adding the third country. And so I'm curious. Um, I, I mean, it's it's just amazing to me because culturally. It's different, right? Countries in Europe and the US, but is the best place to work for from a cultural standpoint, 
Is it that different from your perspective from country to country based on preferences or is the heart and soul of it really the same? I think there are some cultural differences then between those countries. I think at the heart, working for some of the top organizations for me is, is sort of built around one core element, which is hmm. allowing your employees to bring their whole self to work, whatever that means. Ah, okay. Then, in any of the countries we, we've talked about. But being able to come to the workplace, whether it's a physical or, or a virtual one, and feel like you can bring your whole self to work, that's what matters really for a lot of people. So then you can, you know, of course, fine tune around what's specific to one particular country. Is it more flexibility versus less flexibility? Is it more uh, technology driven uh, or less mm -hmm. technology? You know, so, but at the heart, do I feel like when I come to work every day, I am myself? Mm. And if if I have to cover up, if I have to show up as a different person, I'm not sure this is a great place to work. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it makes, you know, you know what? I think it can be abstract for some people um, because they're like, you know, my whole self, if I bring my whole self to work, I could get in trouble or that could be not accepted here. <laughs> uh, what? What are the guardrails or what are the instructions like you would give to a leader who's like, hey, uh, you know, I like this idea of, of getting my team to bring their whole self to work, but I'm a little concerned what's on the other side of it. Yeah. A um, couple of things in my comes to mind. One is judgment. Sometimes, mm. you know, you, yeah. <laughs> right, you could start there. Um, apply, apply good judgment to any type of behavior that you will bring to the organization. Would I do that, um, you know, in a public setting? Would I do that? So if I if I would not, why would I do it at work? Um, and uh, so th that's that's the the, the first <laughs> one. And, uh, <laughs> and the second piece is a sense of uh, moral compass mm. uh, in terms of integrity. So bringing your whole self to work, you know, doesn't mean you're going to go crazy or wild. Uh, it, it does mean that you feel comfortable, you know, operating and showing who you are in terms of, you know, being vulnerable, yeah. uh, sharing what, what uh, drives you uh, day in, day out, sharing some personal details. If you're comfortable or not, um, doesn't mean that you're going to do something that ethically, you know, the company is going to be able to look at that and say, well, this is not matching our values or corporate ethics governance. Yeah. I, I think it challenges a lot of notions from leaders when you, when you say bring your whole self to work. I, I know for me personally, when I was working for large companies, I worked for Honeywell and DHL and sports authority years ago. And I really, I can remember like my friends at work did not know my family. My family didn't even know the name of my boss. I didn't have people walked in my office and they're like, where's your picture of your family? And you're like, well, I just kind of keep it, keep separate. it separate. And I just kind of believed that was the way it was supposed to be. But I went through burnout, you know, I suffered uh, with this. And I think keeping these things separate caused a lot of fric friction and unneeded. I mean, I, I just missed out a lot of opportunities and turns out I had, I had a boss who was really good because he introduced me to his family he invited my family over 
And it was really uncomfortable for me. And I was like, man, I'm getting to know his family. That, that means I have to care a little bit more. I have to really think about more than just my boss. I'm thinking about his family and, and, and the families of my employees. And it really shifted me. But I can totally see what you're saying, Stefan, is something that leaders that are keeping these things separate, find some ways to bring them together so people can bring their whole selves to work. When you ask them about their weekend, if they're just saying, oh, it was fine, and they're not giving you any details, that's probably a missed opportunity, right? Absolutely. It has to be authentic, of course. You don't want to show up in a, in a way that's not real. It has to be authentic. It has to be, you know, again, yourself. And, <laughs> you know, some people are more comfortable sharing more details, some people less. But come to work every day with the people, understanding that everyone will look for deeper connections. And that deeper connection sometimes is built on ability to share things with one another. So that's that's the core of, uh, of what people uh, think, uh, certainly what I think about what I think about uh, bringing your whole self to work. Because when you bring yeah. your whole self, the subsequent element that comes after that is I'm going to give my best self. If I feel I can show up, I'm going to be my best self. That is a nice benefit. Right. If you want the best your whole self, get the best self. Are there is your team just saving their best self for the bocce league after work with their friends, or are they bring in their focus and their full effort to work? And I think you just That's pretty great. much hit set her the bet gave me the best explanation I've heard on why it's important for leaders to do that. That's right. Get the best, best self, whole self. There, there's a connection. So Man, that is so good. Well, let's advance the conversation because, Stefan, there is so much to dig into, and I can't keep you here all day. So I've just got to hit a few of the high points here. Now, for the listeners, Stefan, I mean, this is a super special episode because we've actually had Stefan's wife, Mary Jo, on. Uh, You're saying, wow, this is our first. We didn't have them. Now, I want to have them on together at some point. I think that would be a lot of fun. Mary Jo did a great job. So go check out her episode. But what's so mind-blowing is, y'all, she is actually a CHRO2 of a 90,000-person company. So this is maybe the most power couple, power couple uh, of, of HR world, glo- two global companies, global high impact. And I was trying to do the math uh, on the amount of employees that you both impact. Like if you combine most companies, it's probably over 200,000 employees plus families. It's a lot, but people probably ask you a lot about that. Y'all they've got five kids across two continents. Now, how in the world, now if anybody's going to have some interesting strategies on work-life balance, making time for your spouse and your family, you've got to have some kind of playbook here to keep this thing going. I mean, it's just amazing to me. So what advice to find you have for leaders who question how they're going to get it done with kids, personal life, professional life, and, and make it all fit together? Yeah. First of all, I need to say she's, she's the best part. You know, she's my best part. She's oh. the, uh, she's the one with the, the very talented one and has a lot on her plate, but, uh, the way we managed, uh, our life, uh, the, the piece I would say is to be very deliberate, Ben, about mm. what 
want to do and be very uh, driven and ruthless in applying that. And um, mm. so what do I mean by ruthless is, you know, first of all, you need to be explicit with the people around you because in, uh, in absence of being explicit, people will make assumption. Hey, Stefan is not interested to have uh, chit chat past the meeting we have uh, and because he's gone right away. And if I don't say, listen, I have to go right now because I'm on my way to the airport to catch a plane to go and see uh, some of our kids who are on the other side of the ocean, people are making assumption. So the first rule for me oh. is to be explicit mm. uh, about what are your priorities, what you put and why you're doing it. One. Oh. Second piece, I was saying be purposeful in what you're doing and say, listen, I'm going to spend time with my family, my kids, and I'm going to, you know, both Mary Jane and I have jobs where unfortunately we don't really turn off in weekends. But in the moments where we decided to be all together, dedicate to the family, focus on a family activity, we turn off everything in those moments. So mm. there's an expression, you know, is be where your feet are. Mm. Um, be really focused on, on that moment. And three, when I say be ruthless, life will throw at you a lot of things to, <laughs> to distract, disrupt your plans. Oh, um, like COVID? <laughs> yeah. A minor, example, a minor global yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Minor one. Right. <laughs> um, so be ruthless in the sense that, again, there, there is, there are things that, that are coming your way. If you're clear on your priorities and if your priorities are family, kids, or whatever type of priorities you have, um, it's going to be easier because you have your North, North star in terms of your priorities and being ruthless is also managing those priorities to make sure that the people you're going to spend the time with will feel that themselves. So many good nuggets in there. And I love and I've, I've, I've paired these two words together before myself, priorities and ruthless. Because if you're prioritizing effectively, it is ruthless because you can't have more than one number one priority at one time. And people say, well, you know, okay, I, I've got two or three top priorities. Like, well, you can't do them all at the same time. So I think that in your mind, sometimes it's the family, like that's the number one. So I'm doing it for them or I'm being with them. Or sometimes you're getting on a plane, doing something professional, but understanding you're making those priorities. And then I, I love how you take, took the extra step. You're like, I'm communicating that to people. Like I'm not hiding what I'm prioritizing. I'm being explicit with my people that I, I'm leaving the day because I got a family activity on another continent and I got to get over there. Or maybe with your family, like, hey, I've got to leave to do this other, other meeting and really making sure that they're aware. And I think so many leaders maybe fail on that, maybe because there's shame. Like, well, if, you know, what's my team going to think of me if, if I have to leave today? But what you're saying is, yeah, get it out on the table, let them know. Yeah. And they're not left making the story up themselves. Right, right. I think it's very important. And I think everyone fails. I keep, I, you know, I fail every day um, in providing cont enough context to my team. And uh, I've created uh, an atmosphere where people are telling me sometimes, hey, what's give more context why are you making this decision mm -hmm. and it helps me realize 
and say, geez, I've been too fast on this one. That's true. I should have provided more context mm. because so it's uh, it's also, you know, be explicit on on any type of topics that sometimes feel obvious for you, um, where people need, you know, to to get through your thinking process. Yes. And I love uh, leaders miss context. And I think it's been particularly bad during the pandemic because they're used to being in the office with people and it's easier to get context if you're physically hanging out with them during the day and they see you moving and they, or they, they watch how you as an executive's interacting in a meeting and they can kind of get that context. But in COVID, it's just, it's, it's tougher. It's, it's tougher. So what are some ways that you've navigated the whole context thing when people can't see see you in action, maybe in person as much? Uh, but you know the way the way I've used I've I've actually leveraged a number of uh, medium. One is you know texting as well because the you can't replace the sort of serendipity that you had in the office where you bumped into one another, you were around the coffee machine, you were having yep. that heat chat. So I you know of course we can't replace that virtually. Um, so I've, I've very often, I would say more often than in the past, checked with text messages and say, hey, just want to check after that. Is this, is this your understanding? How do you feel? Uh, hey, by the way, I forgot to tell you that. And so making, making the most of those moments by, by using multiple ways that will help you either provide context or get a t- temperature check with the people. That's a cool idea. And it's it's weird. Like the younger generation, they text like maniacs. They have no problem with it. I'm Generation X. And I'm admitting I'm a little late to the text game. I still remember the first text I got. And I'm like, I mean, not recently, y'all. But like I was visiting somewhere and I still had the uh, QWERTY keyboard. And someone was texting me and I was like, who is this person? And it was my old roommate from college. He'd been on the texting wagon for, for a while. But now I think leaders are underutilizing text. They over rely on email and people don't check it enough. And it's weird how less context in text can actually be a great touch point for an emotional right. check-in after a meeting or something like that. I think that's yeah. a cool, cool idea. Um, so I want to run this. I, I've been wanting to run this idea by, by you. So I've spoken at Sherm many times and I, I know you yeah. so for, for the listeners, that's the society of human resource management. And I've, and we, I've spoken a lot on the catastrophic cost of turnover. And that's kind of a domain or helping companies reduce their turnover, but the most well-attended, um, the presentation I ever gave it at Sherm and I've done like four or five of them was at 7 a.m. in New Orleans, which you think people staying out in New Orleans, they're not going to be showing up. They just came right away from... Yeah, this, they just came they from Bourbon Street. They, they left Bourbon Street <laughs> in files, and the room smelled quite interesting. But the topic was how to secure your seat in the CEO's inner circle. So it wasn't related to turnover and all this. It was... The fact that, and this is not just for HR, but HR is big for them, right? But a lot of other groups too inside companies, they're not always in the inner circle. A lot of times HR especially is the cleanup crew for a lot of companies. They get involved later 
not early in the conversation. And there's like a feeling, and, and maybe it could be other people in the company too. And so I'm curious, you've been in HR a long time, Stefan, and you've navigated this and you're obviously, you know, C-level here. What advice do you have for leaders, HR or not, that want to be in the inner circle, but they're still getting called as the cleanup crew or only for fire drills? Yeah, I think you need to be very strategic about what you're bringing to the inner circle, the boardroom, the executive suite, whatever you call it, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. which means, you know, you will be considered based on the um, value and impact you bring to the C-suite. If you're bringing topics that are not belonging to the C-suite in a way that's not compelling from a business standpoint, mm-hmm. then don't be surprised that you're not going to be reinvited. However, if you bring topics with, you know, a, a leading with data, with a great storytelling, uh, that will have a direct impact articulating uh, what imp- what positive impact he could have, or is it a risk on the business? You will get the leader's attention. Mm. Um, so my piece of advice will be lead with data and have a you know you, you, a great storytelling that will be impactful and that leader are going to be you know relating to. Some of the mistakes that I see still in the boardroom is the ability of people to flex their muscle when they are talking to executive leaders, meaning they're supposed to present to a board of directors or um, an executive committee a topic for 20 minutes. Guess what? You need to prepare the version one, the 20 minutes one, the 10 minutes, but you also need to be ready to prepare the five minutes one. And I see people struggling when they are facing that, but that's the reality. So some of those ability to flex your style, your content, and the impact with which you're going to deliver it is what will make it or not sometime in terms of uh, your presence. I have been in that boat and I have struggled in moments where... Like I have, I had 20 and I was laughing to myself because I've had that that exact experience. I had 20 minutes. Ben, um, we're sorry. We're we're running a little behind. Just tell us in five minutes. And I'm like, well, I was going to have this great story and build up. And basically I I remember getting up. So when I was really young in my career, uh, I was getting upset and I remembered uh, I'm like, what? I remember telling my friend, I was like, what our CEO really wants is me to walk in with one sheet of paper with just one bullet and one word. And I say the word and then I shut up and sit down. (laughs) My friend's like, (laughs) if you can do that, you will get promoted. And I thought I was just joking, but he he was serious. You know, it's so right. It reminds me, Ben, of uh, my first uh, comp committee when I was at Tyrus Watson, the, uh, you know, I do, a, I think it was an executive comp at that time. So I do, a, you know, a big presentation. We were presenting a new, uh, a new compensation, executive compensation scheme. And uh, I was so passionate trying to, uh, you know, co- convince. And suddenly the, 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 you know, the comp committee chair stops me and say, okay, we got it and we approve. And I keep talking. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, one rule, Stefan. 
when I say it's done, you just shut up. <laughs> yeah, we give and you I'm the like, approval. Okay, just more. enjoy it. I love that. Yeah, I could remember doing the, did the exact same thing. And I, I think, you know, you you get better at practice, but people often miss the fact that you don't have to be in front of the CEO to practice. You can practice by yourself right? before you get there. And it's amazing when you say, I had to get there to practice, but people think you have to be in the action to practice. Like, no, like, verbally try practice this stuff and, it, and it's hard sometimes to make yourself practice your responses and get ready but man if you do that it'll pay off these big moments yeah definitely definitely get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less right now go to benfanning.com slash turnover did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year if you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. So what's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career? and How did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? I've had so many failures, Ben, in my career. Um, you know, two comes to mind. So the first one, and, and they're very different. The first one, I was the I was at PepsiCo. I was the uh, head of HR for the country in France, and uh, I was pretty sure that the next uh, you know European role was going to be for me. I was probably one of the largest country. I'd been in the role for a while. I'd, you know, you, you mentioned it when we started. I'd won in France the. Uh, the top spot or the second top spot for best place to work. I'm like, Hey, the next job for Europe is mine. Mm -hmm. And I am, and you know, the job is announced and it's not me. And I'm like, what? I thought I, you know, I had everything. I could tick all the boxes. I was ready Mm -hmm. for that. How come? And it, you know, it was given to somebody that I reported to and she was one of the best, uh, HR person I worked for and with, and she had the uh, uh, she was she had the intelligence of seeing the disappointment, but also acknowledging that I might have had more experience. So she partnered with me and helped me grow in a way I could not have grown. Mm. Gave me the international perspective I didn't have at that time. So it was the at the end the silver lining was for me. You know what? One of my key lessons that I like to share today which is avoid peer comparison. Mm. This is the biggest trap that you're going to be caught with. You know, I should be paid like that because that person is is making that much money. I should have that title because that person has that title. I should have had the job. This is the the, the biggest uh, mistake you're going to make. So that's for me, that was the the, the first one. A mentor of mine said, then to compare is to despair. Well, I like that. It's very yeah. similar mindset. And man, usually I, I, I can feel it now because it happens so often. I'm like, man, I should be doing this or that, or whether it's comparing training and leadership success or impact, or it's comparing podcast numbers, or there's, you know, one of the downsides of having so much data is it's just so easy now to compare yourself to everybody. Hair, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, 
run your own race. I think, I think that's great, great advice. Exactly. So and the second one yeah. was, uh, was a super interesting one was actually when I came to the US uh, now 14 years ago, very quickly presented to, um, the, I think it was the CEO at that time uh, or the board, I can't remember. And uh, the feedback after the meeting, so I've asked my boss, hey, how was it? Um, she said, great content, you, you know, people really love what you presented and they bought the strategy. However, Stefan, that you didn't really understand your French accent. And I said, oh. okay. Um, you know, on the other side of the pond, I was praised because of my international experience, but here's here is a challenge I've never had before. And, you know, you mentioned Mary Jo earlier. I came home that night and I shared, you know, the story with Mary Jo and she was so upset. And mm. she was like, what? You, you know, you have a great accent, don't change it. And for me, it was actually, what, why am I talking about failure? Because it could have been a failure, but I took that opportunity for feedback to say, you know what, I'm going to hire a coach to help me work on my accent. So I cannot hide the fact today that, Ben, I still have an accent, but I, it gave me the opportunity through this piece of feedback that could have been a failure to say, you know, this is the feedback and you have to deal with it. And it really helped me understand some of those, you know, nuances sometimes uh, to be better understood. And that's what mattered to me. Yeah, that, yeah, what a challenge. Because I suspect that felt personal. Like you've been probably critique getting feedback your whole career on do this, do this on business acumen. You're like, what? People have a hard time understanding me those 300 other times. Uh, and yeah, that's, yeah. And, and I just love the fact that you channel that into an opportunity for continuous improvement. And to be honest, we can all probably do better in communicating our message. So it's just like, I, I just love how you, how you looked at that as an opportunity to grow. Uh, through that. And what was the coaching like going through that? Coaching was great. Loved it. Yeah. I found a guy uh, who helped me. He was actually uh, uh, an actor on Broadway. And uh, he oh, gave wow. me some great tips uh -huh. in terms of not only the pronunciation, the difference between, you know, some of the Latin or the French and the way they spoke with the American. So he really helped me on my accent but also gave me some great tips when it comes to, when it came to public speaking. So really loved it. Wow. All right, everybody think about this pretty cool <laughs> stuff. So, so what's the one trait you wish you could instill on every employee and why do you think it's important? I would say, um, especially after the, uh, the last two year resilience, oh. yeah. because you know, it's it's not about, you mentioned what are the failures, what are the, you, you're going to be tripped up in your career. You're going to face some, you know, whether it's professional or personal, some some hardships, some challenges. Um, it's, it's not a matter of how many, it's a matter of when and how big will they, will they be. And for me, what makes the difference between every single individual is the way you respond to that, the way you react. What are you learning? Um, how do you decide to show up after 
you know, some of those challenges. And for me, resilience is not about just being tough, but it's about how do you build your, your strategy to cope with what's coming at you? And, uh, and it starts by taking care of yourself. You know, we have an expression here at Florea, which is with our HR team, you cannot pour from an empty cup. So mm. make sure you fill your own cup first. Um, so that would be resilience. Makes a lot of sense. And people, I love that because your ability to bounce back. So you're acknowledging I'm going to be knocked down. That's part of being a professional and frankly, being a human being, but building and preparing in advance those systems and processes and your own health to be able to bounce back more quickly. Because a lot of times people, eventually most people do bounce back, but it's also the speed at which you can bounce back. If your team can bounce back in a few days versus a few months, you're going to have a lot better result at the end of the year. Right, uh, right. And we, we, I talked a little bit about the cash off at cost of turnover, and I, and I can't let the interview just end without exploring that with you a little bit because, you know, we've got mm-hmm. some people call it the great resignation during the pandemic. I mean, we've been working with companies around this, and we've put together research that shows that it can cost an organization over $235,000 per employee per year for middle levels and up. Uh, when, when they leave, when you include all the hidden costs and whatnot, is this a cost that you think that all leaders should be taking a look at? I think everyone should consider certainly uh, the, the cost of turnover. It has to be one of your ma- metrics when you look at that, Ben. But I would also argue that for me, the 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 cost for an organization are the people who are staying in your organization and are not engaged nor enabled. <laughs> I, I call yeah. them the checkouts. The what? And the checked out. The, the people checked out. checked out. They're in your organization. They are not engaged. They don't feel enabled yet. They're not leaving. I can tell you, Ben, those people are costing you probably as much as the people that are leaving you because they are not productive. They are not positive about the organization and they don't feel anything is engaging them. So you you should work on both. You should work on your retention, but you should make sure also that the people in your organization want to be there. Um, Great point. They could be sticking around for years. Yes, you lose a great employee. There's a cost with that. You got to go through rehiring and they're gone. The desk's just empty. What about those people that have been there for 10 years? What's the impact and the drag on the bottom line that they're creating? Now, does L'Oreal have like a magic way to sort of calculate who's engaged and not? Are y'all working surveys? Is it more of just like a manager perspective? How do y'all go about taking a look at it? We do have a number of uh, surveys that are that are existing in the organization. Mm-hmm. Your traditional poll survey once a year uh, that tells you, you know, who's engaged, who's committed, what are the elements that. But this is our. Um, it's a global survey where we gather the feedback across the organization. Well, we also have some micro survey that might be more. Uh, topics related that are going on as well throughout the year uh, that you could do on an ad hoc basis, team by team. Uh, so we're, we're working, you know, throughout uh, a sort of holistic listening 
almost at every touch point mm. uh, with the mm. employee uh, throughout the, you know their journey. Um, we have we, we collect data and we, we're in the process of looking at it holistically so that we develop at the end a better employee experience. What are three success strategies that all employees need to be keeping in mind? Hmm. Uh, success strategy for for them for employees themselves. Yeah. And, and by the way, I think avoid peer comparison is a pretty darn good one. So maybe just two yeah. more. <laughs> I, I would say um, I would say as an employee. You and that's the beauty of our world today with digital as well. Any mm -hmm. CEO or any leader is one click away. So mm. my advice would be reach out to the people that are inspiring you that you want to learn from. Ooh. It's almost you know. So that's that's one. And um, in the same vein, I would say be very clear about what you want. Um, yet be open, uh, because you might, you might say, listen, I want to become a general manager. I want to become a head of HR. I want to become, you know, whatever you want to become, but be flexible on the way to get there, because this is what you're going to, this is where you're going to learn the most along the way. Um, most mm -hmm. of, most of the time, the destination is, is, you know, matters less than the journey itself. So uh, yes, you have a, mm -hmm. you have something in mind. Go for it. Go after it. But be flexible along the way. Yeah, I think I think that's a, that's a great thing. Like you may have had an idea of what you wanted to be or what position you want to be in, but man, organizations and even jobs are dynamic, and the external environment is changing at a ra more rapid pace every year. So yeah, there are just more opportunities. So I like the idea about being open to what opportunities might arise. Well, Stefan, what a fun interview today. Thanks for being so open. I think you really represented bringing your whole self to the interview today. We hit <laughs> professional, we hit personal, we hit, you know, pretty much everything along the way here. What's your parting thought for the listeners? So first of all, thank you for having me, Ben. It was a fun interview indeed. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, my, my parting uh, comments or piece of advice would be, you know, just, just go after uh, what energizes you because life's too short and you don't want to wake up one morning thinking that you've missed what really matters to you. I love it. What a great question to sit with listeners. What energizes you? and begin to craft that destination around that. Great. Thanks, Stefan. Thank you, Ben. Pleasure. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping.
Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.